as more and more women are entering medicine, we are asking questions for ourselves first and foremost, right? I'm a female patient. How does this treatment affect me? Empower yourself. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to learn new things. Ignore ignore the negative noises, you know, hold on to the positivity around you and, you know, just try to take things one step at a time. Hello and welcome to Coco Pods, Maternal Mortality Reduction Academy. This is a feature of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We are recording live from the rural city of Forsyth, Georgia. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. I'm a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon, and a proponent for natural child delivery. We have Dr. Marwa Faroki from the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Sciences System, Division of Hematology and Oncology. So basically, Dr. Faroki is a blood disorder and cancer specialist. So looking at research and future outlook, are there any promising research developments or clinical trials, which is like the you know ultimate research related to women's health in hematology, oncology, that you can share with our audience? And also, what does the future hold in terms of advancement in the field, you know, of, you know, hematology, oncology, women, bleeding, and improving outcomes for women with these conditions? I think it's an exciting time for women. You know, for decades, women and women's health issues had been ignored. And it's because there weren't researchers that were females. They weren't physicians who were females, and it's been a male-dominated space. Science and medicine has been a male-dominated space. So I think as we're getting more women experts, women's health has come into radar, which is important. And I think that has what started this momentum. That's what has started this change where we're getting interest from our national leadership, our local leadership in women's health, we're getting more funding towards women's health. Because historically, most clinical trials were done in men. And, you know, clinical trials often exclude pregnant women, they exclude breastfeeding women. And this is a large percentage of your life as as a female, you know, so not having any data, not having any answers, when it comes to that specifically is very, very difficult. And that is slowly changing. As more and more women are entering medicine, we are asking questions for ourselves first and foremost, right? I'm a female patient. How does this treatment affect me? But we're also helping bring the conversation to the table for all the other researchers that may have not thought about women's health in the past. So now women's health is a national topic. As you see, the First Lady has been key in trying to bring women's health to the national agenda. And, you know, that should not just be the focus nationally, but we need to look at women's health internationally as well. Women are still, unfortunately, a very disadvantaged population. Globally, women are currently suffering because of something as simple as no access to care. 
or misinformation or, you know, just not knowing because of ignorance. So I'm happy that the World Health Organization is also trying to, you know, bring that to light, but working at the grassroots level, working to fix at the bottom and building that foundation to build up, I think is going to be important. It's great at the national level. There's a lot of momentum, but I think at the grassroots level, we need to push for change. We need to get those women to appropriate healthcare providers. We need to find a channel for that. As far as research is coming along, there is more enrollment in clinical trials uh, for women within the United States. But is this true globally? I don't think so. I think we're still, you know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet in Africa. We're not there yet in Asia and the Middle East. So we really need to think globally because, you know, uh, United States at the end of the day is a melting pot. Not everyone's going to react the same to the medications and the treatments. So Having a global approach to this is important, but starting at the grassroots level is going to be key. And I really want to applaud you, Dr. Sagode, for doing this. You are that foundation that's bringing this, you know, knowledge to the average person. So they are equipped with their own health information and they can bring it to the doctors because I can't find you. But if you find me and you ask me questions, I can help you. Right. So I think we need to empower women with the knowledge and, you know, through podcasts like this and through, you know, just educating yourself, that's going to be key. And I hope that's where, you know, the next decades take. We really need to focus on education, because without educating women, without health literacy, we're not going to know we even have a problem. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, you know, I'm from Africa originally. I'm well-traveled. I'm very in touch with the global problem. So thank you for even making that mention with respect to research. Thank you. And I want to use that to pivot to patient advocacy and empowerment. You know, how can women become advocates for their own health. And I know even the United States is not a monolithic environment. And then, you know, there are women in the United States that will advocate very boldly for themselves. I wonder if it's also along lines of being educated. And there are women in the United States that don't even know what to advocate for, for themselves. So how can women become advocates for their own health and ensure they receive the best care possible? And are there any other patient advocacy groups or organizations dedicated to supporting women with blood disorders or cancers that you think you might not have mentioned? So um, as I mentioned, you know, educating yourself about important health topics is going to be important. But, you know, both in the United States and on the global front, if you're just working to survive, right, survive, get food on the table, you're trying to, you know, protect your family from war-torn nations, your last thing on your mind is going to be women's health. So I think creating support systems for these women and for these families, you know, in the U.S., we have the Women's and Children Program, the WIC program that's really helpful to at least, you know, get the resources needed, like food and diaper and, 
you know, the minimal things that are available at low cost or no cost, having those kind of resources, you know, so women are not worrying about basic survival necessities. So then they can start thinking about, you know, their health. But if you're worried about what am I going to do for my next meal, you're really not going to be worrying about your health. You know, your iron levels are way, (laughs) they're on the back burner. You're not even thinking about it. So I think trying to empower women through training them to be able to be self-sufficient, to be independent. You know, women raise the world. Moms raise the world. And, you know, I am biased, obviously, because I'm a mom and I'm a woman, but we are capable of doing great things. And I think providing the infrastructure to help women to be able to do great things is key. And then as we bring stability, both nationally and globally, even in my south side of Chicago, I'm talking about, you know, there are worried about getting shot if they walk across the street to the clinic. If we're bringing stability to that situation, the environmental situation, then we can talk about educating them. And once you're educated about your health, I'm not talking about education in terms of like finding a career and all of that, but just having basic health literacy, that's when you'll start asking questions. That's when you're going to, you know, take a real interest in your health. But if you don't know if it's a problem, you're not going to even bring it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of organizations that are available for support for women, there is the American Cancer Society that does a lot of, you know, breast cancer walks. You could, you know, connect with other survivors and, you know, really it's uh, they've been through it, so they they can become your friend through the journey as you you know navigate through cancer. Every group, ovarian cancer, sickle cell disease, thalassemia. There's multiple support groups. You just have to find it. And now with Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram and TikTok, everyone is a subject matter expert. You know, take everything you hear with a grain of salt. But hey, you know utilize that community, utilize that community to bounce up ideas. You know, some patients may have had certain experiences with certain medications. I always encourage my patients, hey, go to your friends who've done this before and ask them. And that helps empower them in terms of, you know, my friends have done it. So now I have more confidence in this treatment. So really being open about your health, being, you know, vocal about your health is important. But unfortunately, we're still very private about our health. You know, breast cancer is still a stigma, believe it or not. To this day, we're talking 2024. In the United States, in Chicago suburbia, breast cancer will be a stigma. No one wants to talk about, you know, hey, I have breast cancer and I need to go through mastectomy. I'm going to have chemo done and I'm going to lose all of my hair. It's okay. You know, recognizing that as providers, that there's a lot of emotional support needed. And that emotional support, sometimes healthcare can't provide that. So if you can get that emotional support from friends and family and other survivors, that will help you navigate through the other just as important things. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You know, thank you for those answers. I just want to talk about some fun things about you. So I have two questions for you. Can you paint us a picture of your day-to-day activities and a fun item about you 
And the second part of that question, I always have a second part to my two questions. Can you please discuss an item outside of your primary area of specialization, you know, special poem, food or culture? Because our lay listeners will want to know a little bit more about you. Okay. So my day-to-day life, I wear several different hats. I am a mom first, and I feel like that's the part that I struggle with the most And, you know, my kids are very, very young. Uh, You may be able to hear them in the background. So sorry about that. And and my kids are home from snow day today. So I remember, you know, cutting birthday cakes in my scrubs and my beeper and everything. This is the reality of female physicians, you know. Please tell your kids, thank you for allowing me to take their mom for a little bit. I will. No, I've been in meetings all day, so they kind of... Yeah, like your mom. Yeah, I know, I know. I want to show the realness of a working mom. Yeah, sure. All right. So getting back to a little bit about my, my day, my daily day. Usually, you know, my day centers around trying to figure out family and my kids and my work. So at work, things are difficult, but, you know, Everything is scheduled, you know, you know how to plan your day for the most part. I wear a couple different hats. I'm a clinician, so I see patients on a regular basis, but I'm also a teaching attending. So I, I teach classes and I teach residents and students, and I'm also a researcher. So I, I work on my research when I'm not doing the other two things. So it's a combination of things and each day is variable. Some days it's meetings all day like it is today. Some days it's clinical work all day, and some days it's a mix of teaching. And I find enjoyment in all those three different things. So, sorry. (laughs) So I I enjoy doing all those three different activities, and it's a variation, so I don't really get bored. When I get bored with one thing, I can jump to the other. So I really like being in academia because of that. It gives me an avenue to be able to do multiple different things. And I find a lot of satisfaction just from working with a variety of people, whether it's research scientists or students or trainees. And, you know, especially a lot of the gratitude, the gratitude comes from working with patients who are dealing with these chronic and sometimes even terminal conditions. So that's part of my daily routine. An interesting fact about me well, it changes every couple months. Now that it's winter time, I've taken up ice skating again. And the reason for ice skating was because my daughter, we were traveling to New York two years ago for a conference. And she saw by a Rockefeller, there's an ice skating rink and she saw people ice skating and she decided she liked ice skating at that time. She was four So then she enrolled herself in classes and then she wanted me to do it. That's how I got into it. I bought a pair of skates, which were uh, kind of expensive. But then as soon as I bought those skates, I stopped using it. So this winter, I finally pulled them out and got back into ice skating. So that's a new skill I'm trying to learn. You know, I'm in my 30s. I won't tell you exactly where, but somewhere in my mid-30s. I really think what keeps me going is I want to try to learn new skills, whether it's professionally or personally. And, you know, it keeps life interesting. So 
you know, taking up ice skating again, it's, it's a scary thing. You know, most people worry about falling or breaking bones, but it's also exciting trying to, you know, trying to learn new things and pushing yourself to the limit and see where you can go. So that's, that's a fun thing about me. I try to experiment new things and things that are challenging. I, I don't shy away from challenge. And you like cooking and trying international recipes, right? I do like cooking. Right now, I'm staying away from cooking just because it's after holidays and I'm trying to lose weight. But I do like making a lot of international food. And that's how I introduce culture to my kids. So, you know, we'll, every couple of weeks, we'll pick a country and I'll do my best attempt to making food from that country. And I'll introduce their culture and current events or historic things that are important. And, you know, as a family, we try to learn more about other cultures through food because there's only so much traveling you can do. But, you know, really food is what resonates with everyone. So, you know, before we go to our closing thoughts, I know you did have a personal experience uh, with a family member with cancer? My first death that I've ever experienced was when I was 10 years old. You know, ever since I remember, it was my aunt, my mom's oldest sister. Ever since I remember, she was a breast cancer survivor. So, you know, I always remember her being as the aunt that has been sick because of cancer. And she... From my earliest memories of her, all I can remember is like chemotherapy and, you know, eventually she ended up passing away when I was 10 years old. And to this day, that memory really is ingrained in my brain, but also all of the dynamics that happened surrounding her death, whether it was with her kids, whether it was with her siblings, her parents and her physicians, the talk about end-of-life care, the talk about chemotherapy. And, you know, I remember her losing all of her hair. I remember her husband talking about hospice and her sisters being, you know, taken aback about why are we, you know, uh, why is she hospice? She's only in her late 30s. How can we accept someone to die so early. I just remember that dynamic. And now when I'm looking back, you know, at that time, I would always be interested in breast cancer. And now as I get into my patient care, especially when I'm seeing patients with cancer, I'm able to, you know, remember that situation. And I really think having that personal connection and going through what I did at a young age helps me resonate with my patients and families better. Well, what a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you said that was the first death. That's the first death I ever experienced. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Thank you. I just want to, you know, thank Dr. Mawa Faroki for coming to Cocoa Pods podcast, Dr. Mawa Fawa Faroki, just so much information shared, so many personal experiences. And in closing, do you have any final advice or words of encouragement for women who may be listening, whether they are patients, their caregivers, or just individuals interested in women's health? So the final message I would have for women is, you know, empower yourself. Always don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to learn new things. Ignore ignore the negative noises, you know, hold on to the positive 
positivity around you and, you know, just try to take things one step at a time and, you know, you'll, you'll grow. Always focus on growth. You know, don't, don't get bogged down in the negativity of things. Don't get bogged down in, you know, what's, what's not possible. Think about what's possible and go for what's possible. You know, sometimes the easiest route to take is the easiest route to take. Don't, don't make things harder than it needs to be for yourself. So, you know, always remember, as long as you're making progress, even if it's baby steps, no effort goes to waste. So if you're putting in your, you know, even if you're putting in your 20%, that 20% won't go to waste. So always try to be hopeful and, you know, aim for the best that you can. Wow. Um, we, the members of uh, Coco Pods podcast, we want to... And, and myself, we want to extend our most grand appreciation to Dr. Faroki for her willingness to participate in CocoaPods podcast. And this is a podcast that we do believe can make a change. So thank you so very much for coming to CocoaPods podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Sagode. I really enjoyed my conversation with you.